Artistry. I am your host, Canary T. Robot, and today we have another The Artistry Presents. With me today is Alana Arnold, a talented author. Alana, you want to tell me a bit about yourself? Hi. Well, um, I am middle-aged <laughs> and a writer, and it took me until middle age to um, become financially um, profitable as a writer. I've been a writer my whole life since I was a little kid, but it took me until my mid-30s before my writing um, became um, saleable. And, yeah, so I write mostly books for and about children and teens. Um, I have two novels that are due out this spring. The first one is called A Boy Called Bat, and it's being published by HarperCollins Walden Pond Press imprint. Uh, it comes out March 14th, and it's about um, a boy uh, with autism who becomes enamored with an orphaned baby skunk that his veterinarian mother rescues and determined to keep it. And the second is a young adult novel called What Girls Are Made Of that publishes April 1st with Lerner Press, Carol Rota Lab imprint. And uh, it is um, a dark, complicated, uncomfortable novel about a girl coming to terms with the question of if love can be unconditional and what that might look like through many different filters. That actually sounds really good. It is really good. I'm really <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> uh, now, um, you, I mean, you said you started writing as a kid. Um, did you ever go to school for writing or anything like that? Yeah, I was a writer as soon as I... I don't even remember deciding to be a writer. I was just a writer, always, always. And then I went to undergraduate at UC Irvine where I majored in comparative literature and applied to the creative writing program at UC Davis. I applied to a few places, um, only fully funded programs. I don't... I don't like the idea of taking out debt for creative degrees because there's no promise of reward, financial reward at the other end. So it's dangerous, I think, to dig a financial hole for a creative degree. Um, it's one of the few uh, wise financial steps I've made in my life. Um, mm -hmm. I've made many missteps, but that was a good one. And I went <laughs> to UC Davis and uh, got my master's degree in creative writing fiction. Um, and then I didn't write for a long, long time after I got my master's degree. The master It was a fraught program. There was a lot of soul searching and worrying about did I have anything worth saying it was the 90s when if you weren't writing like literature with a capital L you really shouldn't be writing at all according to most um, programs so that was stressful for me mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be writing literature but that's such a weird question is it literary is it literature when you're just trying to tell a story so I didn't write for a long time I taught instead I taught um composition at the university level. I taught junior high school English. I was a private tutor and then I had a couple of kids and then I decided about the age 35 that I was going to finish a novel. If I ever had the time again I was going to finish a novel and I did. What and novel uh, did you finish? That was my first novel that I ever finished. In fact I always said I wasn't a novelist. I said I was a short story writer even though I, I like short stories okay but I like to read novels but I don't think I thought I had the ability or the right to write a novel to, mm -hmm. to you know really um, tackle something that big or to ask people to listen to my voice for that many pages that's a big ask you know yeah um 
But um, I finally decided to write a novel, and it was my first novel. It's called Sacred, and it's mm-hmm. set on Catalina Island, which you probably know since it's just off the coast. Here. Yes. <laughs> and it, um, yeah, I wrote it in 11 weeks um, and sold it to Random House in a two-book deal um, almost immediately. How did you do that? Like, um, yeah. did, how did you, how were you able to sell it to Random House? Like, um, did you did you email them or... Yeah, I went the traditional route. I wrote the novel, the entire thing. People always want to sell something on spec, which you really can't do. I mean, there's a, always an exception to every rule, but almost every debut novelist I've ever met finished their novel first, mm-hmm. made it as good as they could on their own, and then found an agent, a literary agent, to represent them, which I did. I found an agent, and that agent and I put together a list of editors to whom we thought we should query people we thought were good fits at houses that were good fits. And um, I we chose Francoise Bouy at Delacorte. She's not there anymore, but that was the imprint she was at at Random House as our second choice. She was my first choice, um, but um, my agent wanted to send it first to someone at Disney, which I knew wasn't going to fly because the book dealt with questions of sex and, and, and God in ways uh, that wasn't real Disney. But, you know, yeah. you knew someone there. So they rejected it, and then we sent it to Francoise Bouy who bought it. Yeah. So you reached out to an agent first? Yes. For, and Okay, so um, how do you connect with an agent then? Well, the internet is a beautiful thing, and <laughs> you can do a lot of research now. So what I did, I had a, I got rejected by agents before I found one, um, as one does. And what I did was I started looking in the backs of books that I liked that I thought were similar to mine in tone or style. Mm-hmm. And authors love to thank their agents and their acknowledgments. I thank mine in every book. And so I found agents' names and made a list of, of agents. I researched them to see if they were open to submissions. I made a spreadsheet and kept track of who I sent to, when I sent it, uh, when I followed up, when I heard rejection, who I sent it out to next, if anyone asked for a full. So first you usually just send a partial. They usually just let you send like two chapters uh, and a cover letter. And then if anyone requested a full, I wrote down when I sent that and followed up and um yeah Ruben Pfeffer is my agent he was um the first person to ask me to read my full manuscript at which point I did what you're supposed to do is I contacted all the other agents who were still with my manuscript and told them hey I have an agent who's interested are you still interested and then there was a flurry of people always want something that other people want you Mm -hmm. know so then there was a flurry of of agents asking me to send the full manuscript and to please not sign until they had a chance to read and that was terrifying and exciting um and then I got um and then he offered to represent me and I kind of hemmed and hawed at that point because I was like well who who is this guy if he wants to represent me because I had a moment of complete um imposter syndrome you know like I wanted this agent until he wanted me and then suddenly I became sure that no one could really want me and so he must not really be legitimate Mm -hmm. so I stopped and I researched him a bunch more and found out yes indeed he was very legitimate and um then he we happened to be able to meet in person which is awesome if that can happen but it usually doesn't because agents are mostly on the east coast and I'm out here in California but he happened to be coming out here for a trip and we arranged to have lunch together and um it's pretty funny at our first meeting he said to me um, Alana, because he's from Boston, pronounced my name Alana. Part of my job as an agent is to manage your expectations as a writer, and I just want you to know that probably this book won't be a huge seller because it's very literary, which made me laugh because I had spent so much time worrying about if I was literary, if mm-hmm. I could be literary, and then I had thrown off that completely and said, "Forget it. I just want to tell a good story. I'm not. I don't even care if it's literary." And I wrote a book that apparently was literary after all. So uh, you can't escape your um, 
graduate degree roots, I guess, is the, <laughs> is the story. Uh, so, yeah, so then, you know, he wanted to work with me a little bit on revision, so we took about a month to make some tweaks to the book, but it was, it was a really clean book. It was the first novel I had finished on my own, but I had written some romance novels with partners before, mm-hmm. just for fun, and we thought maybe for profit. That never panned out, but... Uh, and I had a degree in creative writing, and I'd been writing at that point for, oh gosh, uh, almost 20 years off and on. So I, I wasn't a brand new beginner when I wrote that book. I was, I actually was knew more than I thought I knew. So the book was pretty clean, and we sent it out, and um, yeah, he called me on um, Valentine's Day. Um, I saw his, his name come up on my phone, and you know, agents don't ever call unless they have really good news, and I looked up, my kids were there, and my husband was there, and I said, it's Reuben Pfeffer, he's calling, <laughs> he never calls, and he answered, and he told me that um, they had offered to buy um, Sacred and its unwritten sequel, so sometimes that happens, if you've written a book and you intend a sequel, they'll, that's, that's a way to sell an unwritten book, is, you know, as a second novel in a two-book deal, um, that has its own problems for sure, but um, it has its benefits too. So, um, yeah, that was a very happy Valentine's day. That's fantastic. Ever since then, whenever we have a deal and we've sold a number of books together now, he calls me and says, happy Valentine's day. And that's our our little code. We sold something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty exciting. Um, how you said that you like marked down like, uh, all the people you contacted Mm -hmm. through an Excel sheet. How long did that take? I mean, uh, in terms of calling and reaching out to agents and then getting rejections and such. You know, in the age of the internet, rejections happen a lot faster, which is good. Um, Because when I was first trying to publish short stories in literary journals in the 90s, it was awful. You had to print out two copies Mm -hmm. or one copy, you know, sometimes one, and you had to include a self-addressed stamp envelope and you had to print out the cover letter and you had to put postage on your envelope and you had to put postage on your self-addressed stamp envelope and you had to mail the thing off and then you had to wait weeks. Uh, now you press send and your book is, your query is automatically in their hands. So it speeds up the process, but it also makes it really competitive because there's a lot of people who, including myself, who just didn't have the heart for the and the, and the money to continually send out expensive packets of things to never hear back from the void. So mm-hmm. usually you hear back, they, often agents will tell you if you don't hear back from them within two weeks, you can, you can send a follow-up email. Um, and if you don't hear back from them after that, a lot of them will say, well, you can just, um, assume that it's a no, it's a pass, mm-hmm. which I think sucks. I think, yeah. I think people should write back and my agent, when he's open to submissions has a, um, oh, I, he responds back to everything. He doesn't, you know, he at least says, thank you. It's not to my taste. Good luck with you, which I think is it's the way to go. So I did have some, I never heard back from, they just disappeared into the void. Um, in general, within two weeks, I heard back from people. That's good. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you, too. I'd rather hear n- no thank you than never hear anything at all. I know some yeah. people say no news is good news, but... It is for a couple days. <laughs> yeah. It's good until... <laughs> it's good until it's not good anymore at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really important to keep it up. Like, you know, when you get the rejection, you... Okay, great. That means I can now send to three more. You know, you keep it going. You... You have a list. So if you if you send it out to your top five, before you hear no from the from any of those, you have your next five picked out. Uh, and you also want to say if it's a simultaneous, if it's a you know multiple submission, if you're submitting to more than one agent, which I strongly encourage you to do, that you let them know that it's not an exclusive submission. If for some reason you're submitting just to one agent, they're your dream agent, then you can say this is an exclusive submission. So I'd especially appreciate a quick response. 
if I don't hear from you in three weeks, I'll assume it's a pass and then I'll go wide or something like that. So mm-hmm. just, it used to be you weren't that it was um, considered really rude to tell an agent that they weren't exclusive that, you know, but now it's totally normal to send to many agents, several at least at the same time. Okay. And, and you said that it, it costs money to send manuscripts? No, or not it used to, oh, right? Used when you to. have to mail things. In fact, if any agent ever asks you to give them any money for anything, that is not a real agent. Agents never should take any money before you make money. That's how the agent relationship works. So Ruben Pfeffer never made a penny until I did. And then he gets 15% of everything I make, basically. Okay. Uh, with a couple exceptions. But... Um, that's how it should work. And it's so, writers and artists can be so vulnerable because we so want to hear good news that oftentimes we can be misled or trapped into doing things that are unwise. So along with never paying, I, I, you know, I really am against having to pay for a, a master's degree, unless you're further along in your life and you can really afford it and you're doing it because you want to. Mm-hmm. For a young person just out of high school to take out a $50,000 debt to get a degree in creative writing, oh, that's just a big burden to have to... It's hard to be creative with that kind of pressure, too, to pay back all that money. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. But the other thing is never, ever pay anyone who says that, oh, I'll, I'll be your agent for this, you know, for $250 up front. Or an aid, an editor who says, yes, we're interested, but we're going to need you to pay a reading fee so we can send it out to editors first. Anything like that is not... As, as far as I'm concerned, it's not real. It's not something you want to put your money in. Um, even if they publish it, it's going to be like a vanity publication. It's not going to be something that has any sort of chance of really being sold in brick and mortar stores. You might, you're better off at that point, I think, self-publishing and hiring your own people. If you want to hire someone to be your editor privately, there are great writers and editors who work. I can give you some contact information of great professional freelancers who will, for money, read your book. But it's very clear that that's what they're doing. They're not promising that it's going to sell. They're promising that they'll help you make it better. So those waters shouldn't be muddied, and the agent should only make money if you do. That's a good. That's actually really good to know. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in terms of like um, emailing uh, these agents or these editors, uh, uh, and we'll, we'll start with the agents first. Did you just email them directly, or did you research first to make sure that they had open submissions? Yeah, I did some googling, um, and it's. The world is a wonderful thing now. You can really get a lot of information very quickly. So I'd find the names of the people who interested me, and then I would find out where, which house they worked at. Agents work at different agencies. Um, and find their contact information. Some of them weren't open, but they had an assistant who was building their list. So then you can apply to them. That's mm-hmm. a good a good thing that if, if someone is working as a as a um, like an associate agent, they can be great because they're new and they're building a list. So they have a lot of openings. And if they're working with an agency that you respect or an agent that you respect, um, that's a good sign that it's, you know, could be a good fit for your, your writing. Um, yeah, they honor what they say. If they say, you know, only completed manuscripts, don't be the person who says, well, I know you say only completed manuscripts, but you're going to see from my first 50 pages that my book is different and I'm really special. Um, don't do that. Um, if they say we're closed, um, don't send them your manuscript. You can send them a note saying, I see that you're closed and I am very interested in working with you because, do your research, know why you mm-hmm. want to work with them. Uh, can you tell me when you think you might have, will you have an open call for submissions at any time or can you, do you have a sub-agent that perhaps I could submit to? Uh, be professional. It's a business. So writing is an art, but selling is a business. Mm-hmm. And to be a professional writer, you have to be both. Um, not necessarily in the same moment, but 
I don't think it's smart to try to think of the business of writing when you're creating to say, will this sell or um, is this going to be popular enough? I think those are just terrible things to think about while you're creating. Um, so you want to keep the business out of your art. Um, and then when it comes, comes time for the business, you know, be organized and professional. Okay. And now, um, I'm going to move uh, to the writing portion a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, a lot of people have always, um, like, uh, a lot of my listeners have told me like they are interested in writing, but they're, they're more focused on how do I stay motivated? Mm -hmm. Um, how do you stay motivated when it comes to writing, especially as an author? Right now, I'm having a really hard time staying motivated because I'm terrified of the Trump presidency, and I find <laughs> our country's state of affairs to be demoralizing and scary, yeah. and I've been putting a lot of my energy, way more, not a lot, way more than I ever have, into activism mm -hmm. and into paying attention, accountability, um, dealing with uh, issues of, of my own privilege. The fact that I was blindsided by this says a lot about how privileged I've been, yeah. um, that I've been able to live in this vacuum, so dealing with a lot of guilt and a lot of um, desire to be motivated in that direction. So yeah, I haven't been terribly motivated as a writer, but I've, I found it impossible actually since November to work cohesively on a new project. But I had an older project that was already purchased and it had I was in second drafts, and that was work I could do. That's how technical editing, answering eight, you know editors' queries, and making the book stronger I was able to do. And I recently started a brand new project that's totally different than anything I've ever done. So that's one tip I have for you: is if you find yourself demoralized or terror terrified <laughs> do something totally different so i'm writing a musical oh um, yeah so that's really fun and i was just working on it today and i have a composer friend and we're writing just a rad kick-ass musical that i like to think for for children's theater or young adults to perform mm -hmm. i like to think of anne of green gables meets hamilton so oh, that's cool yeah it's about a rad feminist american icon that's largely forgotten and we're resurrecting her and bringing her back so but so Something new can be a great way to motivate yourself. Uh, if you're in a project, I think that part of motivation is recognizing that it, it's a lot of writing is work. Any sort of long-term project is going to, some of it's going to, I almost said something I shouldn't have said, but some of it's really going to suck. And yeah. so and I, I saw this great comic once about a writer's like sort of journey of writing a novel and it starts with, this is great. I'm so great. This is beautiful. I'm brilliant. Oh, this is getting hard. Oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. Oh, this is this is pretty bad. Oh, this is awful. This is shit. I'm shit. I'm a terrible person. I shouldn't even write. Oh, this is awful. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe this will work. Oh, wait a second. I have an idea. Oh, this is okay. Okay, maybe this. Is, maybe I'm not terrible after all. And you know, completion of the book with several more of those cycles, usually not just one in a, in the novel. And so, uh, I think recognizing that that's a normal. Um, trend when you're writing to go through that sort of periods of lows and highs and to it's kind of like having a long-term relationship like it's not all going to be you know puppies and roses um, sometimes you look at the person next to you and you say huh there's a stranger lying next to me how did this happen and there's even this dis and you can feel like that way about your art too but once you've been in a relationship long enough you remember that love is cyclical and it comes back and Love for your project is cyclical, too, and it'll come back if you don't abandon it. Um, so having done it now a few times, that helps me to remember those, those truths. The first few times, it's a, it's a question of sort of blind faith uh, and perseverance, and you just have to keep um, pushing, pushing through those, those low points. One thing that really helps me in, the, in that situation when I was writing my first book was I had a timeline. I knew I wanted to write the book quickly because I didn't want to 
lose interest in my own writing. So I set myself a schedule. Um, I wanted it to be a 22 chapter book because I knew it had to be about a certain length to be the manuscript length. I wanted a 90,000 word book. And so I knew I needed about 22 chapters of about four to 5,000 words per chapter. Mm-hmm. So I decided I would write, and I had one day a week because I homeschool and my kids were around a lot and they were little. I had one day a week when someone else watched my kids, my friend Laura Jane. And so I would write one full chapter every Tuesday. And that was hard because um, that's a lot, four to 5,000 words in a day. Is a, I can't do that anymore. I don't know how I did it then. It's a big day of writing. And then I, and I wouldn't sleep until the chapter was finished, even if that meant you know fixing the kids' dinner and then getting them to bed and going back to writing until 2 in the morning. I did that many times, many Tuesdays. But then I had another, I had Wednesday morning through Monday night to write the other chapter. And so I wrote it in bits and pieces all week long. And I wrote that book, you know, 22 chapters, 90,000 words in 11 weeks. Um, and it, I don't know, one of the best feelings of being a writer is finishing things. And it's a feeling a lot of writers don't get to experience. Writers get really, really good at beginnings, mm-hmm. and writers get really, really good at quitting. And that's dangerous. Uh, you get kind of addicted to the fresh new idea and to that exciting beginning. Um, but a lot of being a writer is follow through. Um, while I tell my students, one thing every book and a whole library has in common is that they all have an ending. And so you have to learn how to write endings and how to get to endings. And some of that is just, it's just work. It's just even if you, know, you think the middle part sucks, you get in the practice of finishing things. And that's something I didn't do when I was younger so much. I would start something and I would get, I would drift off. But so my advice to young writers, young meaning new of any age really, is finish things. So if you've decided you're writing a 300-page novel and on page 20 you can't stand it anymore, don't quit. Compact it. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're not writing a 300-page novel. Maybe you're writing a 25-page short story. Stick an ending on that sucker. Learn how to finish it. Then set it aside and start something new. But don't trickle off and abandon I think it's really important to practice learning the whole arc of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if you've, you know, of course you're not going to publish a 25 page novel, right? But maybe it's a short story or maybe it was just practice, but learn how to finish. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of writers, they will start, uh, I mean, myself included, will start something and then d- I won't want to finish it because I get bored mm-hmm. of it. And it's like, I have don't have this desire to keep going mm-hmm. with it, but I had bigger plans for it, but then... Yeah. It's like, so why bother ending it if yeah. it's just... Because you learn how to write endings. And you learn how to write... And I'll tell you, you learn how to write a novel, you know, is that you write novels. Um, you have to get to the end before you can revise. And you can, you know, you can paint and polish that first 20 pages and make them just gorgeous, but... So they're going to not go anywhere sitting in your drawer. So learning, yeah, practicing finishing, ruthlessly finishing, mm-hmm. you know, killing out whole characters and cutting out whole subplots and just getting to the end. Just a nasty, dirty ugly ending is better than an abandoned project you learn how to finish things mm. yeah that's a, good, that's a good way to look at things or at least in terms of writing yeah it's not necessarily fun but then you get to experience that feeling of finishing and then you have something to revise too so you have that 25 page story and now you can't stand it but at least it's got an ending and mm. you put it in your drawer and maybe in six months you remember it and you come back to it and now you have this whole new thing that you get to do you get to revise Shannon Hale, an author, says writing a first draft is just filling a sandbox full of sand so that you can build castles later, which I think is such a great metaphor. So your job is not to write a perfect first draft. Mm -hmm. Your job is just to fill the sandbox. Revision is where it's at for most of us, not all writers. Uh, And every writer, too, can have a a story or two come out sort of like a gift from the heavens. But in general, the writing is work. 
and the revision is where most of the work happens. Yeah, I've always been told um, writing is not when you're sitting down typing, it's when you're going back and rewriting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, writing is rewriting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, I think, largely true. I have a couple of writer friends who do all their revision as they go. They sort of like, they go through chapter one and then they go back and redo chapter one and move on to chapter two and then they go back and redo chapters one and two together. And so by the time they get to the end, they're really, they feel like they don't have much more to do except check, for, you know, for typos. But they're revising at the same time, sort of. So, All right. Now, uh, let's go to the end part where you've written a book and it's just been published. Mm-hmm. How do you promote it? That is a great question. I hope someone will tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Promoting is hard. Promoting is one of the reasons I decided to be a traditionally published author. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't really... I mean, that I decided I wanted to be a traditionally published author as opposed to a self-published author because I... You have to be a good promoter of your work if you're self-published, and I really hoped that I would not have to do that. I could just go back to the art of writing, and the business of selling could be handed off to my agent, and the business of promoting could be handed off to my publisher. Uh, But it's not how that works in 2017 or even 2012 when I published my first book. Um, They really, even traditional publishers, more and more expect their writers to be partners in the the, um, promotion of the book. I don't do very much. I've never done very much as far as promoting my books, which probably reflects in my sales. I'm not a best-selling author. Also, I write kind of weird books. Um, a Boy Called Bat is not a weird book. I, that's my, my best hopes for, for selling big. Or, I mean, the only people who are going to be unhappy with that book, I think, are like the Never Keep a Skunk as a Pet contingency. They're <laughs> really mad at me. But other than that, I think that book shouldn't be too much of a... I know, shouldn't stir it up too much. But, um, you know, I have a Facebook account. I have a Twitter account. Uh, the best way to promote is not to promote. Uh, you want to be part of a conversation, not, hey, buy my book, hey, buy my book. That gets on you unfollowed. Um, retweet um, if something interesting is happening. If there's something you're into, like cats or birds or, you know, um, I don't know, strange wax shapes, talk about those <laughs> on your blog if you have one or on Twitter. Um, and build, build relationships, really, I think. Um, Books can make it really big all on their own. That happens barely ever, uh, but it can happen. But a, a career in writing is not a book. A career is a long-term thing. And the best thing you can do as a writer, I think, to promote your, your front list, your, new, your back list, I mean, the books you wrote, is to grow your front list. So write another book. Um, all that being said, um, pub- publishers do have in-house publicists who do a lot for your book. Mm-hmm. But... They can't. They don't do everything equally for all their books. Some of their books they think are going to be bestsellers, and those are the books they throw more of their weight behind. If they think your book is kind of a quirky, weird, we'll see how it does, they paid you your advance, and they're kind of going to wait and see how it does before they throw any more money behind it. And if it doesn't do well, they're going to cut their losses and move on. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, there's no real prescription for that, um, except write about another book. And don't ever sit around waiting for your book to be published uh, and just assuming or hoping that it's all gonna, that's gonna be the one. You have to be, you should be writing another book, um, even before the first book sells. When you finish writing the first book, you should be, in my opinion, working on the next book while trying to pl- find a home or an agent for the first book. Uh, it also helps with rejection. When your first, you know, book gets rejected, it feels better if you're 120 pages into something new than if you think that's the only thing you've ever been able to write um, or ever will be able to write. So, but all that said, I did hire, I hired a publicist this time out for What Girls Are Made Of, my new novel, because it's a weird, quirky book, and my, my publisher is really great, and they do a lot, actually, to help me promote my book, but I decided, well, I I know other writers who have hired publicists to supplement um, their launch, and I thought I would try it out this time. 
So, so far it's great. She's really helped me stay on task as far as connecting with uh, publications that I would hope to have interview me or uh, review the book. Uh, she makes much nicer spreadsheets than I can and, you know, gets me motivated and keeps me on task. So that's been worth the money so far. That's nice. Yeah. Well, we're coming to the uh, end of it. Um, would you? Do you have any last-minute advice for any person who would love to become an author? Or I think the main thing is that writing is a is a privilege and a joy, and it can be easy once it can be easy anywhere along the path to feel like to lose sight of that, um, and that's hard. I lost sight of it, and I continue to lose sight of it many times. I lost sight of it pre-publication where I felt. Like, if only I could publish my book. If only, even before I had a book. You know, if only I could be published. It wasn't even about the book. It was about me. You know, then the world would see. Then I would be validated. Then I would feel all of these things. Um, and it, the truth is, unfortunately, that it doesn't categorically change you as a human being um, to publish a book. Um, and the money, unless you make an enormous amount, which most people don't, doesn't stick around all that long either. What you have to have is you have to you have to have a love, um, you have to have a love for the art and for the process, even when you hate it. And it's okay to love it and hate it at the same time. I often do. Um, now, wh- where can listeners find you if they want to learn more about you? Oh, what a good question! You can go to my website www.elanakarnold.com. Elana is spelled E-L-A-N-A, uh, or you can find me on Twitter at Elana K Arnold. And uh, my books are for sale pretty much wherever you can find them, I hope. So Amazon, indie, indie, um, you, you know, indie stores sell my books. Um, indie Bound is an online place. You can buy books through independent stores if you don't want to support Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. So any of those places you can find my books. And hopefully I'll be doing a series of signings and a little tour for what girls are made of. So there's a chance I might be coming uh, definitely up to LA and up the up through the Pacific Northwest with a friend of mine, Amber Kaiser, whose book, phenomenal book she wrote. It's called Point Claw, uh, point like a point shoe, claw like a bear. That's um, coming out same day as mine, and we're going to travel around together. That's yeah. fantastic. So maybe she'll come and you can interview her. She'll yeah. be in town. Oh my goodness, that'd yeah, be awesome in April. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It is a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.